Actually, real quick, before I call him up, can we do one thing? Can we sing happy birthday to Brother Rifle? Come on. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear rifle. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, as you can see, Pastor Doug is not here. I don't know if that has anything to do with a $100 pie in his face. So it just so happened to be that the day you get the pie in the face, he doesn't show up. So. But we have Miss Cindy. She vouches that he's not doing well. <laughs> so let's seriously, let's just pray for Pastor Cook. He didn't have a good night and he's at home. Father, so we just lift up our pastor, our beloved leader of the house, Lord, and we just bless him now. We thank you. We speak well of his body. We decree immune system is strong and whole in Jesus' name. We, we ask the host of heaven in Jesus' name to fight now with us on his behalf. We speak and decree healing over him, Lord. Thank you that even where he is right now, this very minute, a breakthrough in that body in Jesus' name for perfect shalom in that body. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to do something as a pastor. I've never done this before, and, but I really feel I need to do it today. So I'm going to be as gracious as I possibly can in doing this. You know, when we send out the sign-up sheets, we sometimes jokingly say, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And 20 people signed up to come and help decorate the sanctuary yesterday. I mean, it looks marvelous. It looks beautiful. You know that three people showed up? We are better than that. We are the ones who our master and Lord said, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And when 20 people sign up to say that they are living the life of Christ, and three people show up, there is something wrong. I understand things happen. People get sick. People just completely forget. It happens. But to tell me that three out of the 20 and the other 17 just, that is not right, people. It's not right on the people who do this and plan their day according to having 20 helpers so in other words, if we come and this is the time that we're going to spend, this is how much of our day we are going to give, and it turns out that they had to spend literally the entire day here because people who said that they would come, for whatever reason, I'm not pointing, I'm saying we're better than that. So therefore, again, as a pastor, I ask, when you sign your name on that paper, make sure you come. If you can't, there's an email address, there's an office, there's a phone number. Honor doesn't look like this. We are called to honor one another. We are called to do everything we do as unto the Lord. 
And what happened yesterday is not acceptable for us as children of the Most High God. And I ask as a pastor, I've never done this before, but it's not right to do this. Please, if you put your name down, come. If you can't come, don't put your name down. If you have put your name down and you can't come, just give someone a phone call and say, you know what, I put my name up there, but man, this and it's happened. I can't make it anymore. So, And we can change the planning. We can make plans wherever. But let us not have this experience again, please. Okay. Over and done. On a happier note, today, exactly five years ago, my wife and I arrived in America. Five years to the day. We did not know that we were pregnant. We had no idea. We just arrived with two suitcases at Richmond International Airport. That was it. So I'm waiting until we get our green cards, and then we'll going to ask Pastor Doug if he would allow us to just do a testimony Sunday of everything that God has done for Tiffany, Nathan, and myself to get us to the point where we are right now. Because we shouldn't even have made it to Richmond International Airport. But five years later, we are still here and, well, living the dream. Just being able to stand here in front of you people and, and preach and speak and just God sending so many wonderful people into our lives. And just we are so grateful for each and every one of you that today is five years. So praise God for that. Okay. Uh, the last two weeks we've been speaking about neurological pathways. We've been speaking about thanksgiving. Why do we give thanks? Why is it necessary to give thanks? What does complaining do? And during last week's teaching, I said at one stage, what's very prevalent in the church today is people getting angry with God. And that should not be because we are the clay. He's the potter that never changes. He's never wrong. He's God. So it should not be now that parry. It should not be allowed. That thought pattern should not be able to come where the enemy can say, God did you wrong. You know more than God. God is treating you unfairly. We shouldn't be able to have that. And this week, my my sister said that the Lord was dealing with her about that. So I'm just going to ask my sister to come up and just she wanted to share something about that statement that I made. That when we get angry with God. If any of you on my Facebook, that picture with the monkey goes like this. Because the pastor is speaking directly to your heart. So last week he was like, you know, you shouldn't be angry with God. And I'm like, um, so this morning while we were worshiping, um, the Lord reminded me of this. Now this is something that my husband and I, well me personally, has walked through this past year very much. Um, when God started really <laughs> dealing with my heart, um, this past year has been a long, extended um, season of intense trial for my husband and I concerning an area. And after standing and standing, having done all to stand, um, there came a point where I was just so weary and I got mad. I, I was an angry bear. And fortunately, um, you know, this is the community of God where you surround yourself with people who can speak truth to your heart whether you like it or not. And so I called somebody who I know would speak back to me. And I called Wayman, who's one of my fathers in the Lord. And I just, I just confessed. I was like, Wayman, I, I know I shouldn't be, but I am mad with God. This has been 
so hard and so long, and I'm just so mad. And Raymond being, like, to me, just the sweet father that he is, he's like, Nicole, God understands that you're angry, but it's not beneficial. And just that one line, so I went back to God, and I was like, and for me, repentance is quick. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out thing. Repentance is, oh, my God, I am so sorry. And I know that there's no shame, no condemnation. I can get up and I can walk away and, and know that it, it truly is that easy for God. But so he started speaking to me about, he said, you know, Nicole, anger, when you have ang- unrighteous anger, we're talking, we're not talking about righteous anger here, okay? When you have unrighteous anger, whether it's towards God, to yourself, or towards others, he says it always, it comes out from unforgiveness, Unrighteous anger stems from unforgiveness. And he said, when you get angry, he said, the fruit of anger is bitterness. And in Proverbs 14, 10, it says, each heart knows its own bitterness. You can say you're not bitter, but in your heart, you know if you're bitter or not. And I was bitter. I mean, I had gotten to the point where I was so angry that I was getting, I was getting that tint of bitterness. And Father said, And after bitterness comes deception. And he said, and the thing about deception, it's like bad breath. This is how Father speaks to me. It's like bad breath, you're the last to know it. You think you're right, and you're not. And I was like, (laughs) you know, like, like, forgive me, Dad, I'm sorry. But so that, and so in that morning, I was like, Dad, I'm sorry. I know that, you know, in his word it says, when you need something, where are you to go? To the throne of grace in time of need, to receive mercy, to receive grace. And he's like, what happens when you get unrighteously angry? It just takes you out from the very place that can truly launch you in to overcoming the situation. And there's so many of us sitting here who have faced really hard situations this year. And sometimes it doesn't look like it's breaking yet. But we have a father who is faithful to his promises, whose promises are refined in the fire seven times. They cannot be broken. And so even as Greg and I stand for our overcoming testimony, and you're going to hear about it when it happens, but it's like, it's just that unforgiveness leads to anger, leads to bitterness, leads to deception. And so, Lord, forgive us. Amen. Right. If we can please have... 3 John 2 on the screen. Today what we're going to do is, for time's sake, we'll look at two circumstances of different people in the Bible. And we're going to see who they are. We're going to look at who's around them. And we're going to see that what they wanted in the end, they got. But how many times have you and I, the enemy, put something in front of you and you look at that and you think, I really want that. That looks good, that looks nice, and you go after that, whatever that may be, and when you get that, you realize you've been duped. Once you've got that, you realize this is really, this is not what I want. Uh, Now I want to go away from it, but it's too late. 
like you know drugs i'll use myself for an example you want the drugs you do the drugs and there comes a time where you don't want to do it anymore but now the drugs have you you don't have the drugs anymore and the enemy says man do this this is so fun Look at all of the people. Look at all of the great times they're having. And yeah, you want the great times, and the enemy shows you the great times, but he doesn't show you what comes after that. So we're going to look at that today because the enemy's always throwing things in front of us, trying to make us look at things, listen to things, feel things that we should not want. But in the natural realm, he tries to make it look so enticing, and then we go sometimes for the wrong stuff. So this is a verse here that we can quote. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And we said the last two weeks, this is a verse we can just throw out there. But what does it really mean to live in soul prosperity? It means we have that pathway that we've spoken about. That there's just no way that anything can come and say anything other than God is good. God is for me. If God be for me, who can be against me? And that pathway is so strong that no matter what your circumstances on the outside look like, no matter what storm seems to be brewing all around you, you are settled in the fact that God's got you. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it right now. But man, he's a good, loving father. And I can wake up every single day and I have a new opportunity to go to the throne of grace boldly that I might find mercy and obtain grace in a time of need. And that is a soul that is prospering. And the enemy comes because he can't get to your spirit. Your spirit is sealed, but he comes to your mind. He comes to your emotions. He comes to the way you think and what's happening in your daily life, trying to move you away from that pathway that says God has got me in this. So this is a very important verse where it says, man, I pray that you prosper. I mean, this is John who writes this verse. This is the same John who had his chest, his head on the chest of Jesus. They say he's almost 100. He's in his 90s when he writes this verse. And he says, I pray above all things. I mean, he could pray for a lot of things. He he spends a lot of time with Jesus. Can you imagine the experiences that he had with Jesus? Wouldn't it be amazing to say, I I pray above all things that you would have this experience that I have. He could have said so much, but what does he say? That your soul may prosper. Because when your soul prospers, the body will just follow. The flesh will go with the soul. But if the soul is battling, if your will, if your emotions, if your thoughts are not right, the body is going in the wrong direction. So this is vitally important for us to get our souls in a place of prospering irregardless of what we are facing any time of our life. Very, very important. Another two verses like that, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. And we can quote these as well. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. What is mighty? If God through his word says, this is mighty, you better believe it's mighty. If God says, use this because this is powerful, how do we sometimes say, no, what I think and what I'm going to do is more powerful than what God says. God says, this is mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Next one, thank you. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What do you know about God? 
What do we know about God? He's good. He's for me. If God be for me, he gave himself. If he didn't spare his own son, how will he not give us? There's so many things that we know about God. This is the knowledge of God. And when that thought comes to your soul, how many times have, have we received a healing? Jesus has healed us from something. Raise your hand. Okay. And the next time something happens, how many times has the enemy come and says to you, not this time? Not going to happen again. He's coming against the knowledge of God. Now I want you to meditate on, not this time, what if, maybe. That's what he wants you to do. That's what he wants you to do. But we can have such a stronghold that when those thoughts come, that past is so settled that there's no place for that to settle in my mind. Oh no, how dare you? Who do you think? You think I'm really going to allow my day, my time to be meditating on something like that? Because I have such a stronghold of the knowledge of God that he is good and he's always for me. Okay. So it goes on to say, bringing every thought, every thought, every is every. In the Greek, in the Hebrew, in Chinese, every is every. Every thought. And so many times we allow little thoughts back to the teaching, I don't know, a while ago, the little foxes. You don't take care of that little thought, that little thing. Every thought that doesn't line up with God is good, God is on my side, who can be against me if God is for me, that's not allowed. And we are bombarded every day by the opposite. doesn't matter what news channel you watch, what radio station you listen to, what newspaper you read. The world is in darkness, and that's what the enemy is trying to get into our mind, is that God is not for you. There is no plan. There is no hope. Look how bad it is. That's not allowed. Why? Look what Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, because here it speaks about a stronghold, but strongholds so many times we think are evil. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. You can have such a stronghold in the goodness of God that it is an anchor for your soul. So a stronghold doesn't have to be negative. When we read about strongholds, we think negative because we always, well, what's your greatest stronghold? Well, I lie, I eat too much, I drink, I do this. What's your stronghold? That God is good. That's my stronghold. What's your stronghold? Nothing can take what God has set aside for me but myself to give it away. That's my stronghold. I don't care who you are. I don't care what the economy is. God has put a good work out for me that was there before the foundation of the earth. And you, the devil, nobody can take that. That's my stronghold. And no matter what comes, a stronghold means like what an anchor does. It fastens that ship. So no matter whether the tide is high, whether the tide is low, whether the wind is blowing, whether the wind is not blowing, the boat doesn't move. Why? Because it's anchored. It's strong. There's no place to go. Why? Because it's just steadfast. It's fastened to something and it can not be moved. This kingdom that we have is a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So yes, there is a lot of stuff going on all around us every day. But I'm from a different kingdom. So what happens on the outside cannot affect me. It doesn't have the right because Jesus paid. The Father himself in Colossians says, he has qualified me. 
He himself has taken me out of darkness and placed me into the kingdom of his dear son. And this kingdom cannot be shaken. That's my stronghold. That's the anchor of my soul. And I cannot be moved. And that can be just as strong as a negative stronghold can be. The difference is which one do we choose to walk and believe in? Because when we are born, we are born in Adam and we have the negative stronghold. We are born with everything that is bad. We are evil on the inside. Not because you did anything wrong, but because of Adam and we you were born out of. But now that Jesus has come, we have the opportunity to change that. And now no matter what stronghold was in the past, I have the power to change that. So I can change the stronghold from because people, we go through stuff. There's not one person in here that can say, you know what, my life is perfect, nothing ever happened to me. We can start from Greg over here and we can go right to the back with Edward sitting in the back of the church there. And we can stand and we can give the mic to everyone and each and every one of us will be able to tell a story that, man, that's terrible. We've all been through stuff. A lot of us are still going through stuff this very day. But Jesus came. The reality is he has taken the authority away from the enemy and given us the choice to say, if you do not like the fruit in your life, you have the power to change it. We have that privilege, that right given to us by Jesus because he went to the cross. And that's amazing. Let's not waste that. Let's not give that up. Let's not go through something and say, ah, oh, whatever. I'll just take it. We don't have to take it because he took the right for that stuff to exist in our lives. Evil strongholds is not of him. So we're going to look at two places quickly in the word here. Um, Numbers chapter 11. This is the people of God. We won't read everything for time, but now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. You think God has still got ears? Mm -hmm. He still does. So this is where he's leading them through. Now remember, we talk about the pathway. You have to understand that. These guys, 400 years, what's the pathway that they've been living? You're a slave. You're never going to be free. You will always be in bondage. You will never be able to do what you want to do. That dream and that thing that's inside of you, forget it. There is no hope. Don't get your hopes up because you and your children after you and your children's children will be building bricks so that Pharaoh can build his heart and so on and so forth. So now God brings them out, but the mind has not been renewed. They still have that in their mind. So God says, I've got a promised land flowing with milk and honey. God gives them food, water out of a rock. If I, I don't know about you, but if I were there and I saw water coming out of a rock, I'd be a believer. I don't know about you. I'm just saying for me, you show me water coming out of a rock, I bow my knee. I'm not that, that's God. They see water coming out of a rock. They get food. They get manna from heaven, and they complain, we want meat. This is not good enough. And God heard them. Because we're talking now about the opposite of thanksgiving. What does it physically do when you complain, when you murmur, when nothing is good enough? And why isn't thing happening the way I want? 
it's not a good place to be in. So we're going to go through example of example here in the word. So the Lord heard this. He's not happy about that. So he talked to them. Then in verse 4 it says, Now the mixed multitudes who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. Can you see how twisted your thinking becomes? You're a slave. You've been beaten. You have to make bricks. You can't do what you want, but you eat them freely. It, it, it doesn't make sense in the natural. Oh, we want to go back to be slaves because we were eating freely. We had fish. Now we just got this stuff. And how many times does the enemy come and he shows you and I something and he says, you know what? Your past is better than what you're going through now. Yeah, yeah, it's actually right, you know. We always talk about the good old days. There were no good old days before Jesus. There were no good old days. The good old days in the club. Man, I remember not sleeping for four or five days. Wow, the good old days. Remember those? My goodness, all those drugs, the good old days. Because God has got a promised land flowing with milk and honey. But the enemy doesn't want me to focus on that. He wants to keep the pathway that I have so that I will always say, man, I was a slave, but I was eating freely. Twisted. That's what we call perverted. It's a perverse thought because it's not straight. That's what the enemy tries every day. Shows you something. This is so much easier. Don't do the right thing. Don't do it the proper way because it's going to take too long and it's too hard. Just do this. Don't go to work. Just go and sell this package. Don't do this. Just go and tell this person this and this. It's so much easier. And we can't do that because we know that God is leading us to the promised land. As hard and as difficult as it is, God is getting us out of here. What's that song that, that Tim Walker sings? There's pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Man, we just got to carry on through because joy is on its way. And you and I may not be able to see it now, but joy comes in the morning. So we read on. We'll go to Numbers 21. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the souls of the people became very discouraged. The souls. Because the enemies now always can't change. He comes to your soul. Hits your soul. This is the way you want it. This is the way it is. It's not working out. Come on. It's not that good. Feel sorry for yourself. Look at this. God is not. And your soul becomes. So now not the people themselves, but where your soul goes, your whole physical body is going to go as well. That's why, beloved, I pray above all that you may be in health that your soul may prosper. So the people's souls became, even though God had, man, people, think of this, those 10 miracles. Would that not be amazing? And when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be able to see that. We're going to watch everything in HD as it happened. But can you imagine those 10 miracles? And then the Red Sea being split open. 
and their victims coming and dying in the same scene. God was providing one thing after the next, after the next. Man, we would be believers. We would not complain, would we? We would not have anything bad to say after we've experienced something like that, would we? But people are people. So here, the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Wow, God says, guys, I have a land flowing with milk and honey. And God would say, from Greg up to Edward, I have such a destiny. I have such a purpose. I have such a call on your life that flows with milk and honey. It is it is exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. And the enemy comes and sometimes he says, it's just better to go back. It's just better to be a slave. We can't have that mentality anymore. We're going to be thankful people. We're going to see what God is doing. Man, all those 10 miracles that he did, we're going to meditate upon these things. We're going to strengthen that heart. If he did it before, he never changes. He will do it again. When? I don't know, but it's coming. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who never changes. If he did it for them, he's going to do it for me. And that's the stronghold that we have in our souls. So it carries on. Why have you brought us out to die? So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now understand, this is in the new covenant. So, so many times we can say, well, that's old covenant. That's still even, that's even before the law, but that's old covenant. Things have changed. You won't read this in the New Testament because we're under grace. It's okay. Complain a little. God will understand. First Corinthians, New Testament, New Covenant. Doesn't matter what translation of the Bible you're reading, this is in there. Chapter 10, verse 6 to 11. Now these things, talking about what just we were speaking about, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. But then in verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Complaining can open a door for destruction in your life. I'll say that again. Complaining. Whether there's somebody there in the room that you and I are complaining to or whether we are just complaining to ourselves. Complaining opens the door to destruction in your life. New covenant under grace the man who saw Jesus, the man who had probably the closest revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes this, and he says, do not complain. And then he goes on because this is Old Covenant, but then he says, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. So that which we just read in the Old is written in this book for you and I today. We do not have the right to complain because Jesus died on the cross to come and make life good 
And no matter what circumstance we are facing, there is no place. We have a stronghold of the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the calling and the intentions of God for our lives to the point where I don't care what happens, I will not complain. I refuse to open the door to destruction in my life. What is destruction? Everything. Losing your money, losing your health, losing your family, losing your peace. Pick any destruction you want. Complaining will take you there. Which person in their right mind hears scratching on the door? And you look out the window, and there's a rabbit pit bull with spit all over here, teeth this long, and he's scratching on the door, running, banging against that door to get in. And you are safe on the inside. And you think to yourself, I'm just going to open the door to have a look what he looks like. <laughs> Funny in the natural, but when complaining comes and complaining bangs on that door and there's ravenous spit and rabies and sickness and disease and poverty and you are safe on the inside of the house of God and you think to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to open the door to see what this rabid dog is going to be able to do. I don't, it's not going to bite me. I'm just going to have a look. Whether there's anyone else around other people standing and say, don't open the door or you are all by yourself. That's what complaining does. It opens the door for that thing called destruction to bite you. That's how bad destruction can be. It can come through a small little thing like complaining. Man, I'm driving my car, no parking place. Wake up in the morning, oh, it's raining again. Driving my car, why can't you go faster? Little doors, little doors, little doors all over. But now there's a pathway that's been set in here that when that seed of complaining comes, not again, no ways. I'm not going to allow that to manifest and fester in my life. There's no way complaining has any place from this time anymore. I close, I choose to close the door to complaining in my life. And when things are really bad and it looks like you have the right or the opportunity to complain, phone somebody. Phone a good friend and just ask them, just remind me once again what God has done for me in my life. Just tell me because I can't remember right now. I need a bit of help. Just let me know how good the Lord is and what you know he's done for me in my life. And your friend will say, oh, I remember last year when you had that cold and you prayed and two days later you said, yes, yes, praise God, I remember that. Remember when you didn't have money and you prayed and God, yes, I remember that. And now you recall, meditate on these things and by this you will make your way safe. So if you think you have that chance, get a good friend on speed dial and call them up to remind you about the testimony the goodness of God and the things that he's done for you because he's not finished. He's still planning as we sit here today. He's got angels out moving. Because we can't see, doesn't mean that he's not working on our behalf. Okay. So now we're going to look at two people. First Kings chapter 21. 
remember who these people are? And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near next to my house and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it or if it seems good to you I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. I just want to say at the expense of sounding like not understanding, there is so much in here. I just want to get a point across what the enemy tries to do to us. Okay, But in the law, you weren't allowed to sell ground. That's in Leviticus it says. So that's why it says I can't break the law and do this to you. That's what he's saying over here. Next verse. So Ahab went to his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. This is the king, for goodness sake. This is the king. And he comes and he wants a little vineyard because he wants to make a little veggie patch. And this guy who's got a vineyard says, this is what my father gave to me. According to the law, I cannot do this. But put that aside. Here comes the king. How much property, how many things do you have if you are the king? What belongs to you? How much belongs to us as kings of the kingdom? How much do we have? And sometimes we want, and the enemy makes us look at one little vineyard because it's close to the house. Poor me. And I want that because it's close. And this is a summer palace. This is not even the house. There's so much in here. This is a summer palace. But now look at this. Look at the mind. Look at the soul that the enemy gets into. And he gets to this guy so bad, the king, that he goes home and he cannot eat food. Talk about a soul that is not prospering. The enemy doesn't change. He, he's doing the same today. You can't have that. Oh, look at that. That should be yours. That should belong to you. They shouldn't have that position. They shouldn't. They this, that. And now he gets into our soul. And now look at this. God always puts people around you. God always puts people around you that are there to help you, that are strong, that are for you, and that will do anything that they can to make your life better. Look for those people in your life. Don't run from them. God has someone right next to you that when things are not going right, you can go to them because they love and they care. But the enemy, my dear brother and sister, will put somebody in your life that hates you that will drag you away from the things of God, that would talk to you like a friend would, that would make you feel like you are that important and you need, and God has someone in your life and the enemy has someone in your life. And you and I need to choose who we are going to spend our time with. Because this is the king that goes home and he's not going to eat because he can't get a vineyard. And who shows up on the scene? 
mitgang door die wind. En sy sê, jy wat ken jy, this is not right. You should have whatsoever your heart pleased. And she, long story short, because of time, has the man with the vineyard murdered. Murder comes from one little thought in a person's soul. Murder, killing someone because of, wow, that should have been mine. Complaining, I need that piece of ground. And the enemy puts someone right very close to you that can help you and aid you away from the heart of God. And she says, don't worry, I'll take care of this. You go and eat, make yourself a feast, you're the king, have anything you want to eat, and she has this person murdered. So who is this person? A king that has so many things, he doesn't need that little vineyard. Who is close to him? Their prophet, their priest, their kings there that he can go and see, but the enemy puts Jezebel there as well. And number three, at the end of the day, he got the land. Was it worth it? Getting what the enemy puts in front of you and says, look at this, go for this. And when you get that, you say, yeah, it's not really worth it. It's not. I, I gave up so much time. I gave up so much effort. I gave up so much everything in my life for this. It's not worth it. But the enemy doesn't tell you that when he shows it to you and says, go after this. Next one, just quickly, we're we out of time. 2 Samuel chapter 13. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. Once again, something, who is this? The son of a king. I mean, he's, he's royal blood, living in the palace, not lacking anything. But the enemy shows him one thing that he can't have, his sister. And your eyes, what you look upon, what you gaze upon, he looks at her and the thought comes, she's beautiful. Why don't you have her? He can't. It's his sister. But he keeps on looking and he doesn't take that thought captive. And it grooves and it grooves. And for time's sake, he rapes his sister. After he tricks her to come into the room, she brings him food to eat and he overpowers her and he rapes her. Once again, who is this? This is royal family, not lacking anything. Who's around him? Because now he also, he became sick for she was a virgin and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, David's brother. And now Jonadab was a very crafty man. The enemy will put crafty people around you to draw you away from the presence and the call of God in your life. And he said to him, why are you the king's son? Who there again? Man, you don't deserve this. If you want to have your sister, you should be able to have your sister. You the king's son. And he comes to us and he says, wow. You're a child of the king. If you want this, surely God will come on. This is okay for you. And he tries to make us go after all these things. Long story short, he rapes his sister. There's death in the family. I mean, it just carries on and on and on. In the end, he got what he wanted. But if you read two paragraphs down, as soon as he was finished with the act, he threw her away. Didn't want her anymore. And she was ruined. 
So when we go after the thing that the enemy tells us is so very good, we in the end are not going to want it anymore, but whatever we went after is ruined as well. How much ruin do you and I want in our lives? None. So when the enemy puts that thought in your mind, when the enemy comes and he shows you something that you know is not of God, we have a stronghold that is anchored in the goodness of God that I am going to make my soul prosper no matter how hard it is. Sometimes it's just that we don't want to fight that battle. And it's just easy to say, that's too hard, I'm going to give in. We are not a people that give in. Jesus did not go to the cross. Take away the authority of the enemy for us today to say, it's just too hard, I'm going to do it myself. That's not who we are. But thanksgiving and complaining are huge. If you go and look at the physical brain, if if you look at neurological science and what complaining does to the brain, it literally kills you. It forms little dark spots in your brain. It kills brain cells. It makes your brain go dull. It kills you complaining. That's, that's on the physical, natural side. If you go and speak to a neuroscientist, whatever, and you talk about complaining, not believing in God, they will tell you when you do this, you're busy killing yourself. But no. Why does the word tell us not to complain? Because of that. So put the natural science, put the word to that, and you've got the reason why Paul writes in the New Covenant, do not complain because it opens the word to the truth. Therefore, therefore, in all things, give thanks. Because this is the will of God for you. If you need to phone someone to help you give thanks, Do it. You will be happy after that conversation when they have reminded you of the goodness of God. And you know that you have not opened that door to that radius of bitterness and complaining to come and bite you. We are safe on the inside in the goodness in the house of the Lord. Let's keep it that way. Let's stand up. Have you complained lately? Don't raise your hand. Rhetorical question. Has the enemy put people in your life that said, oh, you deserve that. You should have better. Just go to God now and say, Father, I choose to close that door. I choose now to live a life of thankfulness. I have more understanding. I have more wisdom concerning what I do when I complain and what I do when I give thanks. So I choose by my free will, Jesus, that you gave me to be thankful. Man, we woke up this morning. We have air in our lungs. We are healthy. We can walk. We are here. We have clothes. There's a heater in church. We are not freezing cold. We have so much to be thankful for. It's the season that Jesus came, left heaven, and we celebrate that. We have so much to be thankful for. Holy Spirit, as David prayed in the Old Covenant, place a guard in front of our mouths so that every time the enemy would want to put murmuring and complaining on our lips, it would not come out because you will say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, This is not what a child of the king does. You give thanks because this is God's will for you and it will open the door to God to move in your life. So we thank you, Lord, that we are thankful. 
And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us more revelation of what complaining does. And we close that door in our lives. And we give thanks. We bless you for this amazing day. We thank you, Lord, for our church family that are there for us, that care for us, that love us, that want to see God's best for each and every one of us. We are so grateful. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. Your word says you will give your angels charge over us to bring us back next week. As they carry us in their hands that we do not dash our feet against the rock. And we decree that our steps are ordered by you because we are the righteousness of God. So we thank you and we look forward to next week where we can come back and, and praise and worship and learn more about you, Jesus. You're our heart's desire. You're what we are here for. You're the one we love and give ourselves to every single minute of every day. You are precious and we love you. And we thank you that you are loving us, never giving up, always chasing, always hunting down, always there. So we bless you and we love you and we thank you. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We will see you next week. If you have anything.